Have you ever noticed that Christmas is a season for seeking? Uh, if you go to the mall, you seek the best parking place, or if it's really full, you, you seek a parking place, and then you go in and you seek uh, the right gift and the right gift at the right price, and if you can't find the right gift at the right price, you think of uh, the best excuse, you know, you seek the best excuse for not getting the gift, and if you're going to a party, you seek the best recipe or the best uh, ugly Christmas sweater. I mean, you get there, there's lots of seeking that goes on at Christmas. Uh, if you're having relatives over, you seek the best place to hide when the relatives are over. I mean, there's a lot of seeking that goes on in, at Christmas. And so it kind of began a couple thousand years ago. We're going to look at some of the original seekers. Uh, they were the Magi. And so this story is found in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2. We're talking about today three different kinds of seekers. Now, the important thing is to understand there's a lot of speculation about the Magi. They, you know, how many there were, and we sing songs like We Three Kings of Orient are, and there's really no, uh, there's nothing in Scripture that tells us there were only three. In fact, it's likely that there were more than three. They brought three gifts, and therefore we end up with the idea that there were three of them. There are probably many of them. Um, we, in pictures and in nativity scenes, you have these three guys. It's really, really unlikely that they came by themselves. These were wealthy, powerful individuals that, ha- that were transporting um, valuable treasure. They would have had an entourage. There's no way that they would have moved uh, about. In fact, there's speculation about where they came from. That's not even certain. Nobody knows exactly where they came from. But most people believe it was toward uh, India, that direction. Um, many folks believe uh, this would have been about a thousand mile journey, maybe more than that. I looked up uh, how long it would take to travel a thousand miles. You know, for us to get in a car and go a thousand miles, you can do that in a day. It's a hard drive, but you can do it. Uh, imagine traveling with an entourage of camels. Let's say they were traveling with camels or, or mules or whatever. If you're traveling a thousand miles by camel, evidently a camel can go about 25 to 30 miles a day. So you're talking about you know, 33 to 40 days a month, maybe two months. You might not be able to go 25 miles an hour if there's a bunch of you. And so it, we're talking about uh, this star, this uh, supernatural event happens, and they determine that they're going to go, and there's a group of them, so they probably chatted about it. And then they pack their Gucci luggage and have to you know, pack it up on uh, the, the camel caravan, and, and they move across the world on a camel, more than likely, and it would have taken, you know, months to get there. Um, It is an interesting, interesting story. Now, uh, with details that we really don't know, but we're kind of speculating on some of it, but we're going to talk about the stuff we really do know today, and we're talking about this idea that there are different kinds of seekers. And so the big idea for the day is, every time someone truly seeks God, He reveals himself. Let me show you a super cool verse that's found in Jeremiah. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. This is like a guarantee. God is saying, if you really look for me, I will reveal myself. You'll find me. I'm not trying to hide. Um, The other day, the best illustration I can come up with is, the other day, I couldn't find my wallet. And I don't know if you've ever had that experience, or anything, it could be keys, anything, but for me it was my wallet. And I have about three places I normally put it. There, there's a mantle. I put it on the mantle. That's a good place to put it. Uh, sometimes I leave it on the kitchen table. That's a good place to put it. Sometimes I'll carry it to uh, the bedroom, and we have a, a, a dresser, and I put it on the dresser. And 
I looked in those three places, and I couldn't find it. So a little quiz, quiz real quickly. When men can't find something, and they have a wife, what do they do? They, they, they call their wife. I called Miriam. She was at work. She wouldn't come home. Uh, you know, she, uh, like, made me look for it myself. And so Miriam was on the phone with me, and she said, well, did you look on the mantle? It's like, yeah. Uh, and then she says, uh, did you really look on the mantle? Because that, what that means is um, there have been times where I said, duh, and uh, what that means is I, gl- I glanced uh, that direction. And so she, she was asking me, did you really look? And so she, you know what she said? Did you look on the mantle? Yes. And Well, did you look on the kitchen table? Yes. Did you look on the dresser? Y- yes. I looked all the places I knew to look. What I needed from her, and I didn't get, by the way, uh, what I needed from her was magical. You know, I, need, I needed her to, to know where I put my stuff. Now, I'm getting desperate at this point because it's like, you know, if you lose your wallet, that is a really big deal. You've got to go get another driver's license. You've got credit cards you have to cancel and get new ones. You know, I, I had my frequent flyer uh, uh, card from Hop Sing Chinese Restaurant. I mean, I don't want to start over with that. So there's stuff I really, really wanted to, to not lose. And, and I'm getting desperate. And now I'm looking. <laughs> do you ever do It's like I looked... Under the, the, the couch, I'm, looking, I'm pulling cush, couch cushions up. I didn't lose it under a couch cushion. I went outside, you know, I went into the, uh, out, I'm looking in the, in the leaves. You know, it's not out there. There's no way it's out there. Uh, but, but the light was better. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking at every place, just looking for this thing. And then I remembered, I'm just about ready to go to work without my license, driving without my license. And I'm, I didn't do it, by the way, if you're here. Uh, but I thought about it. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh. I put it in my backpack so I wouldn't forget where it was. Never put it in my backpack before, but I'd put it there, and uh, that's there. sure enough, that's where it was. But the sense you get when you lose something that really is important to you is what we're talking about here. When, when it says, when you seek me, and what he's talking about, when you, when you really seek me. Not when you sort of dabble in seeking me, or when you sort of think about seeking me. This is when you seek me. And these wise men, they pack up their caravan and they go on this journey that would have taken many days, would have been at great expense, and they end up in a town called Jerusalem. Now, as far as we know, they'd never been to Jerusalem. It's likely that they had never even perhaps heard of Jerusalem. And they end up in Jerusalem and they bebop into town and they do something, and I'm going to point out how... (laughs) Seriously flawed this was, but let's just jump into the text and let me show you a couple things. Uh, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, not Jerusalem by the way, it's, it's a little bit away, uh, in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, important, he's an important character in this, Magi, uh, Magi means magician or astronomers or those who study the stars. Uh, we really don't know if they were kings, but they were incredibly wealthy, so it's likely that they were uh, some royal uh, breed. Uh, anyway, the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, Hey, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we come to worship him. Innocent enough. Have you ever met anybody in your life? They were, they were book smart but not street smart. They were learned but not, they were a little, they were a little uh, naive. They kind of, 
These guys come in thinking everybody knows about this and everybody's excited about it. Um, That's wrong thinking. Because look at the next verse. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Let me explain why King Herod was disturbed and why everybody else was disturbed because King Herod was disturbed. If you've ever heard the expression, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, this is when Herod ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Because Herod being disturbed meant everybody was going to be in trouble. And that, it's the truth. Because Herod was king. He was king for a reason. Uh, he was king and he liked being king. And human nature tells us that if you reach a certain level and you've worked for it and you've, uh, you've attained this certain status, you really don't like giving it up. And we see it in, in the NCAA in football. You see quarterbacks who feel like they should be starters and they're not starters anymore and they, they move on to someplace else. It's interesting. They're going to be the four teams in the, the finals and three of those teams have quarterbacks who moved on. Um, in fact, Clemson had a quarterback that moved to Missouri and South Carolina's quarterback moved and, and the LSU quarterback used to play at Ohio State and the Ohio State quarterback used to play at Georgia and the Oklahoma quarterback used to play at Alabama and these guys have reached a certain status and they don't want to step back. And so they go someplace else. Well, Harry couldn't go someplace else. He'd reach a certain status and he is really paranoid of losing his kingship. Power, it's prestige, it's money. There's a lot going on here. Now, Herod became king when he was about 25 years old. His dad had been king, but again, this is a different era, a different time. Herod's dad had been poisoned to death, and he became king. And then one day, uh, in that day, that you had taste testers, you had people who would try your food to make sure it wasn't poison before you ate it. Evidently, they paid that guy off or he took a vacation and the king ate something and they poisoned him and he died. They were ruthless. What I'm telling you is Herod had a reason to be paranoid. So, he becomes king and a few years after his dad had been poisoned, he figures out who had done it. So, he has... A party, a soiree, kind of a big party. I've only been to one soiree in all my life. You know, that's, that's a rich people party. Uh, my wife is Swiss. We lived in Fort Worth. Uh, there was a new ambassador to the United States from Switzerland. And so we got invited, because of my wife being Swiss, we got invited to the party to uh, welcome the new Swiss ambassador to the United States. I mean, have you all ever been to that? I don't think so. Uh, but I got to go. Got to go. And so we, we, we're in seminary. I've got like $6 in my pocket, you know. I show up at a house that's bigger than any house I've ever been to. Uh, they, have, they have valet parking. I, I pull up in my hoopty. It was awesome because the valet guy was like, can I help you? It's like, yeah, you can park my car. You know, it's like, yeah, park my car, chump, because I am going to the party. I got a ticket uh, to get in. I walk into the party. These doors are as big as this room. I mean, it's like, they open up, and you walk into the foyer. You know what I'm saying. Uh, We walk into the foyer, and the guy collects coats of armor. I have a coat. It's under armor. Not the same thing. Coats of armor. Uh, I was never so out of place in my life. Well, King Herod throws this soiree, and he invites all the people 
Um, it invites lots of people, but it includes on the guest list everybody who had been a part of having his dad killed. Uh, they came to the party alive. They didn't leave the same way. This is the kind of guy we're talking about. He held a grudge. He knew what to do uh, with his power. And he was incredibly paranoid. In fact, he, he was an evil dude. A lot of these guys back in the day were evil. If you had power, you wanted to keep power. Listen to the body count this guy had. He, he had his um, mother-in-law executed. That may or may not have been about power, by the way. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to leave it up to you. I don't know what threat she was. Maybe he just didn't like her. I don't know how that worked. But anyway, he had her executed and his brother-in-law. <laughs> Again, <laughs> that could be family. I don't know. He had three of his own children, his own sons, killed. Um, there was a little saying in Jerusalem at the time that Herod was alive. Uh, in the Greek, uh, the word for pig is huios, and the, uh, the word for son is uios. And so the saying was, it was better to be Herod's huios, his pig, than it was to be his son. It was safer to be his pig than his son. That was kind of the, the, the joke that you didn't tell Herod. Because he, he would just, if, if he thought you were a threat, he just would, he would end your life. He didn't even think about it. This, one of the most ironic things I read about him, he, had, he was on his deathbed, and he had one of his sons killed because he thought his son was too eager for power. Like, well, that's pot, meat, kettle. I mean, it's like, uh, you're the guy who is the most paranoid, uh, most obnoxious guy with power, and you're having one of your sons taken out because you think he's going to be too powerful. He, he was... Now, Interestingly enough, there's two sides to this coin. He was somewhat benevolent. Uh, they needed a new temple built. The, 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 the Jewish people wanted a temple. Herod paid for it. It was called Herod's Temple. It cost m- multiple millions of dollars back in that day. It would have been lots of money. And he paid for it. He sponsored it. He held clothing drives for people uh, who uh, were homeless and, and food drives. And I mean, So he did some good stuff. But here, one of the most interesting things about him He's on his deathbed, and he knows nobody's going to weep for him when he dies because he's a jerk, and everybody knows he's a jerk, and they're probably going to have a little party when he dies. And he knows this. He anticipates this. And so he gives this edict, and he says, on the day I die, I want you to gather up all the leaders of, of the Jews, and I want you to kill them too so that there will at least be mourning in the land, even if it's not mourning for me. That's the kind of guy we're talking about. When it said Herod was upset, and all the people were upset, there's a reason. Because they knew this guy. By the way, they didn't do that. He made the order, and when he died, they didn't follow the order. But that's the kind of guy we're talking about. Let's read the text again, because this is really important. He's a self-serving seeker. Let's read it now. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Hey, everybody, where's the one who was born king of the Jews? And as soon as they said that, you know everybody in the community was like, Shh, 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 shh. No, 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 no. You don't say that out loud. Because we want to worship. We saw a star. We want to worship him. No, 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 no. And when King Herod heard of this, because he's going to hear of this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So three types of seekers. First one is a self-serving seeker. So here's what happens. You've got... Herod, and now there's a reason for him to seek the Messiah because he's going to eliminate the threats. 
And if you're going to eliminate the threat, if you are the king and there's a threat, then you investigate and you eliminate. This is what you do. This is his pattern. And so he calls in some people. Now, we're going to kind of, let me insert a second kind of seeker. We're going to come back to the self-serving seeker in just a second. But let's talk about a a different kind of seeker, the should-be seeker. Now, this is the first people, these are the first people that Herod talks to. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers, all the religious leaders, think about the, the top religious leaders of the, of the Jews. He called them in, um, and he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. Time out just a second. Time out, time out. As far as we know, Herod didn't have a lot to do with these people. So you would think if Herod asked for an audience and then asked a religious question, it would pique something in, in them. The religious leaders should have said to themselves, well, golly, he never asks us here to talk about religion. This is odd for us. I wonder what the question is. So the question is, hey, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they said, in Bethlehem in Judea. It's 5.5 miles away. That's not very far. Even on foot, you can do 5.5 miles in a day. I mean, I've done it a million times. That's not that far. You'd also have to suppose that these guys had heard about um, the Magi. I mean, Herod had heard about them, and they were asking about a Messiah, and now Herod is asking about a Messiah. It it doesn't take a ton of common sense to go, hey, there might be something going on here. There might be something I need to investigate. We've been waiting for the Messiah. Jews, they had prophecies about the Messiah from hundreds of years in advance. We're going to see that in a couple weeks, by the way. Super interesting. From hundreds of years in advance. They, they knew to anticipate. They should have been seeking. They should have known he was coming. This kind of stuff, it should have, the alarm should have gone off and they, they just ignored it. And, and here we are and sometimes we, we just get to a place where we, we miss Christ at Christmas. I mean, we're busy. I don't know how busy you are, but I'm busy. If I pulled out my calendar, this coming week i got a lot of stuff going on. i got uh, something on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. i got something every day. Uh, there's stuff. you got church stuff and school stuff and community stuff and work stuff. There's lots of things going on. And if we're not careful, Christ is right in front of us. This is the reason for the season, and we miss it if we're not careful. Let me tell you a story about a guy named Danny Simpson. He lived in Ottawa, Canada in 1990. He was desperate for money. So he decided he was going to be a bank robber. So he's, he cased the joint, literally. He went there for every day for about a week and a half, and he just kind of sat in the lobby and watched what went on. And, um, and he decided, okay, now I'm going to make my move. He, his dad, he knew, had a gun, and so he goes in and he gets this gun. I'll show you a picture of it. This is, uh, I want to get it right, it's a 1918 45 caliber Colt semi-automatic made by the Ross Rifle Company. It's incredibly rare. They only made 100 of them. In fact, he takes this gun and robs the bank, got $6,000. They noted who he was because he'd been there every day for about 10 days. It's like, oh, well, we know that guy. He's the one. They went and arrested him, and they confiscated this gun. This gun is worth about $100,000. He took a $100,000 gun to rob a bank for $6,000, and he got six years in jail. It, what he wanted was right in front of him, and he missed it. And some of us do the same thing at Christmas. 
Every time you truly seek God, you find Him. The problem was the, the people that should have been seeking missed Him. So, so here's the challenge for us. The challenge is, don't miss Christ at Christmas. It, it's busy, and I get it, and it's really, really a time where if we're not careful, we'll miss it. So slow down, catch your breath. Let's remember that the reason we're celebrating and having parties and all that kind of stuff is because Christ came. The should-be seeker shouldn't miss Christ. Okay, let's go back to the self-serving seeker. Herod called the Magi secretly. and The first group he called in were the, the religious people. They should have been seeking, they weren't. These are the real seekers, and he calls them in next. He's, he's investigating so he can eliminate. Investigate, eliminate. That's what he's trying to do. Then Herod calls the Magi secretly and found out from them exactly the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, and he said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so I may go and worship him too. And I would think the Magi go, Aw, aw, King Herod's going to worship too. So He's such a sweet, sweet man. But we know he's not a sweet, sweet man. Now, eventually the Magi go and they figure out, hey, that Herod, he's, he's not as sweet as he acted, he was like. And so the Lord kind of warned him and they went a different direction. And Herod found out, this is going to be shocking, I'm glad you're sitting down. When Herod realized he had been outwitted, by the Magi, he was furious. Who could have seen that coming? Huh? Uh, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And I want you to think how devastating that is. We think of Christmas like it's a Hallmark movie. This, this is devastating. I mean, some of you all have little boys. What would that be like? Think, put yourself in their shoes. Christmas is difficult for people, and even in our day. I, I read some statistics. Um, more pedestrians, this is super interesting, more pedestrians are killed on the roads in December than any other month. I don't know if we're not paying attention, or more of us are out, but we're knocking people over uh, in December. Shoppers in the U.S. last year racked up over $1,000 debt per person on average. $1,054. If you just pay the minimum uh, balance on that, it would take you until 2023 to pay it off. We, we get ourselves in trouble at Christmas. And there are people who are, are, are crushed under the weight of death. Listen to this statistic. 20% of people over 65 years old say they deal with real heartbreaking loneliness at Christmas. And 6 in 10 people in America say that Christmas is stressful and depressing. <laughs> this is a difficult time. The Magi should have been smarter than this. They should have known better than, than to go to Herod, and they didn't. Jesus said to those of us who follow him, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. The one thing that the Magi weren't is discerning, and sometimes the one thing that we aren't is discerning. We're just not discerning. Because self-serving people use people. They misuse people. I mean, Herod was misusing the religious leaders. He wanted, them, he wanted to know information so he could use it for his own benefit. And he was using the Magi. He was using their information so he could benefit from it. And here we are. And the question I think we need to ask ourselves is, are there people in my life that I'm just using to get ahead? It could be your spouse. 
Maybe it's somebody at work. You're just kind of using them to, to climb the ladder. The challenge at Christmas for those who are self-seeking servers, self-serving seekers, is to not misuse people. It reminds me of a lady who went into a store and she asked the manager, are you hiring anyone, uh, any help for Christmas? He said, no, we've got everybody we need. And she said, good, have somebody come over and help me. I'm trying to buy something. Uh, it's, uh, we, we have this tendency to just be about ourselves. We really, really do. Who knows if God might be putting somebody in your life at this time of year that's a divine appointment that you need to have a conversation with. You, you go out to eat, let me make a suggestion. When we go out to eat, um, we usually pray for our meal, and I'll say to the, the person who brings my food or the person who takes my order, hey, um, we're going to pray when our food comes. Do you want us to pray for you? Is there anything we could pray for for you? It's, it's amazing to me what people will share. You know, my mom is sick. I, I'd love you to pray for her. Or, I, you know, I'm at school. I've got tests this week. I, would you pray? I've had a lot of people, and some people don't want you to pray for them. They, they're... they're it's okay if, if they don't want you to. I mean, don't make them. No, we weren't going to pray. You know, don't, you, you don't have to do that. Uh, what, are you a sinner? You, you know, you don't have to say something like that. Be nice. But ask them, hey, is there anything I can pray for you? When, when you're checking out at, at a store, those people who are checking you out or helping you, this is really a stressful time for them. Get off your phone, look them in the eye, have a conversation with them. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, are, are you doing okay? Is this really, really busy? Uh, we went to Lowe's yesterday, and uh, the girl was in the pod. You know, they made, they built a little pod for her because it's cold. And, and I asked her, how, how busy has it been? Are you expecting a lot of people today? Now, there's nobody behind me. You don't want to get a whole bunch of people behind you mad, but it don't take forever. But there was nobody behind me. I thought, well, I'll, I'll give her 20 seconds. We'll have a little bit of a conversation. You're going to be probably around people this holiday season you don't like. I mean, it happens in families, it happens at work. Maybe your prayer needs to be, God, how can I be, how can I be a tool that you could use, an instrument you could use for reconciliation? Maybe at your, in your family there are people that you're around that, I mean, what if you've got a, a, an uncle that you don't like or a cousin that you don't like? or I mean, you know, everybody has somebody. What if you're the somebody? How can you get along with folks? Lord, help me to be the person in my family that's the one that helps us all get along. H have you driven around this season? I mean, this, this, this is peace on earth, goodwill toward men, my eye. I mean, have you driven uh, on Wade Hampton? I'd, I don't even come in to work here. I go the back route and, and climb through the bushes. Uh, you know, it's like I don't want to get on Wade Hampton. It's nuts. It's just nuts. It's crazy. Can, can, you, can we be people who don't misuse people, who, who are kind to people? Next time we're around, folks, can we just be people who, who get along? I mean, at church... You pay me to be nice. I mean, you know, that's why you pay me. Uh, you come in, I shake your hand, I, you know, hey, how are you doing? But how are you when you go out someplace? If you see me away, I want, I want you to see me the same way that you see me here. I want to act the same way that you do here. At my daughter's school, we drop people off. Y'all have that at your school? A drop-off line? You know how a drop-off line is supposed to work? You pull up, your kid gets out, you go on, right? 
This is the way God wants it to work. It's in Ecclesiastes. Uh, uh, you pull up, you drop your kid, your kid is ready. He gets out or she gets out uh, quickly. Step off uh, and you move out of my way. This is how it's supposed to work. This is the way God intends it. There's one car at Elisa's school. It's black. License number. I know it. Um, Every time I get behind them, I have got to pray, God, don't let me blow the horn. Don't let me blow the horn. Don't let me blow the horn. I have to pray. I mean, I'm praying, 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 praying. Don't let me blow the horn. Because this is the process for these people. They pull up, and evidently they haven't talked on the way because they have to have a conversation. And the kid gets out and continues the conversation. It's like, hey, 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 hey. This is where the horn thing comes in. I, I am so close. And Elise will go, don't do it. Don't do it. They have a conversation, and then they close the door, and I'm like, oh, you think that's over. It's not over. Uh, they go to the back door, open it, and get their backpack out, because heaven forbid you have it in your lap in the front seat. And then they close the door, and you're thinking it's over. It's not over. They go to the back of the car. They get in the trunk. Well, they're moving the dead body around. I don't know what they're doing. And get their flute. It's like this big. It's a flute case. Like, you can't put that flute case up front. It's, it's a 25-minute, maybe 25 seconds. Uh, it takes forever. And I have to pray because I'm thinking to myself, if some of my church people see me right now, if you could just know what I'm thinking. Can I get a witness? I mean, that is just one of those things. So we're in a season where we have to, it's probably more important for us to be patient in this time of year than any time of year. So, can you be patient? Here's what I've started to do, by the way. I'll just, uh, if I see that they're in front of me, <laughs> I, um, I, back, I, I stop early, I kick Elise out, and I go around them. That's kind of, that's my plan for now. Just get out, honey, I gotta go. Uh, so, that's kind of how I roll. Alright, third thing, third thing. The seriously searching seekers. We're talking about the Magi here. Um, these guys, they didn't need to find Jesus because they needed power. They already had power. And they didn't need to find Jesus because they had money. They already had money. <laughs> they had everything they needed. So they didn't really need to find Jesus for those reasons. They, they just had a, a spiritual need and they went to the right place. Look at the next couple of verses. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen, when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. There's this huge debate as to what this actually means. Was there really a star? Was it in the sky? Was it Halley's Comet? I've read that. Could it be the lining up of three planets? Maybe the God of the universe who created all things put a star there just for this. Is that possible? It's possible, right? Maybe God, in all of his infinite abilities, he's omniscient, he can do anything he wants to, he's He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he can do anything he wants. Maybe this is what I really think happens. Now, you can't prove it and don't tell anybody outside this room, but if you've ever seen the bat signal, I think it was that. I think it was the bat signal with a manger. I, you know, I think that's what it was. And the, these guys saw it, and it's like, hey, there's a big star in this guy. And they followed it. I don't, have to, I don't have to have it be Haley's Comet for me to believe it. 
It could be just some amazing thing that God did. Because right then he was doing another amazing thing. That was he was sending his son to be a man. He does amazing stuff all the time. And it kind of makes sense that maybe he had a bundle of amazing things right here at this one time. Anyway, they, they follow this star to the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Remember, every time you really seek him, he reveals himself. Now, with the Magi, he revealed himself through a star. For us, if, if I'm really seeking him, I think God puts messengers in your way to help you find. For me, my parents. My parents helped me find Jesus. In, in my life, uh, my pastor helped me find Jesus. That, that's who, who guided me. Uh, I've talked to people who said, you know, my wife helped me find Jesus. Uh, God puts people in your life. Uh, my dad's dad was an alcoholic. My mom's dad was an alcoholic. I, I'm not sure my dad grew up in church, um, but he became a follower of Jesus. My mom was a follower of Jesus. When they got married, they were going to, by golly, their kids were going to go to church. We were Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night people. We went to church. I developed a, a relationship. My pastor's name was Brother Hedgepeth, Henry Hedgepeth. Brother Hedgepeth came to my house. I'll never forget it. Uh, we lived at 722 Maple Avenue in Danville, Kentucky. He came into our front door. Uh, they, we had a, a, a living room. We sat on the couch. I know what uh, wall the couch was on. It was right next to the fireplace. He told me about Jesus. Uh, he led me to Christ. I prayed a prayer. I committed my life to him. I knelt on the floor. I just remember all of it. I had people who helped me find Jesus. My sisters helped me grow in Christ. They were Christians and they helped me. They were older than me and they've helped me. And, and I had a, a youth pastor. His name was Larry Cordell and he helped me and he loved us. And my next pastor was Brother Hall and God used him in my life. And Brother Hall, he was super educated and used words we didn't understand. And that really didn't matter because we knew he loved us. We loved him and he helped us. When you're truly seeking, God puts people in your life to help you find Jesus. For the Magi, it was the stars. And maybe this time of year, it's a good idea for you to, to say, you know what, these people help me in my spiritual walk, and I probably ought to thank them. I mean, it's a good time of year to thank people. So maybe you, you write them a note, or you send them a letter, or you, you text them, or you message them, or you do something, but you let them know, hey, thank you for helping me on my journey with Christ. It's a good idea. On coming to the house, they're no longer uh, in the cave where Jesus was born, no longer in a manger. They saw the child, he was no longer a baby, and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. And this is really interesting, because these are powerful men who have come a long distance, who have great wealth, and they see in this child something that they don't have and that they do need. Because when seekers become finders, they, they worship, they bowed down. Really interesting language. You only bow to somebody who was your superior. This was a little child, and they bowed down because when seekers become finders, things change, and the first thing that changes is you worship. The second thing that happens is you give. The Bible says the righteous give generously. Look what they gave. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And these were specific gifts. The gift of gold was the gift you would give a king. 
again, one of the reasons I think there was an entourage was because they had a lot of, they were bringing lots of wealth with them, and they wouldn't have just done that three guys on a camel. I mean, that would have been, you'd have some people helping you protect that. And if you visited a king, you would give them gold. Super interesting to me. They visited Herod and give him anything. He was already the king. They saved their gifts for the real king. Really interesting. So if you were a dignitary and you were visiting another dignitary, uh, if you were a king visiting another king, you would bring gifts of gold. It's just what you did. Frankincense is interesting. It comes from a plant. It was something that they used in worship. Uh, idol worship, a lot of times, this was, uh, you basically would scar a tree and the tree would then uh, have sap come out and this sap would uh, become gummy and then they would pull it off. And this was something that they burned and it was had, evidently has this great aroma, this great smell. And so they would offer this. This was the gift to a god. Gold was the gift to a king. Frankincense is the gift to a god. Myrrh is odd because it's the gift to the dead. Um, they didn't have embalming processes like we have today, and so when a body died, it started to decay, and one of the ways they would mask that odor was myrrh. And it was a spice, and they would put it on the body, and, and it wasn't a gift you would give people that were living. And perhaps they anticipated Jesus' death. But the point is, they gave. Generosity and following Christ just sort of go together because Jesus, when, when, when Jesus came, the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. Love and giving go together. When we love Jesus, we give. And so Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. The challenge for us who are spiritual seekers is to be givers. Now, Christmas time is a great time to give, and I know you have opportunities to give, and there are op uh, lots of options of giving. It shouldn't be a once-a-year thing. Giving should kind of be in our DNA. God's a giver, we're a giver. If we're created in His image, we should give. And so the challenge is, uh, don't miss the joy of giving. Not just to your family, but to people in need. And people who really have um, issues. And people who... Super interesting here. These wise men give this, these gifts to uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And... This thing where Herod kills everybody, uh, Joseph was warned in a dream, and he took his family to Egypt, and they lived, and guess what they lived off of? The, most likely the gifts that they'd been given, because they were really poor. They offered the, the sacrifice for a new child that poor people offer. They didn't have money until these people showed up. God has this way of providing We never outgive God. We, we never outgive Him. And when God starts showing you opportunities of giving, hey, you could, you could do this. I'm not saying you give to everything, but God will open up opportunities for you, and you give. And you see what God's going to do. We talk about this around here. God's got a lot of money. God, God can provide. Let me end with a story about my church that I, I came from in Michigan. Muskegon, Michigan was where I pastored for about eight years a really depressed economy. They had, at one time, when the auto industry had struggles a few years ago, they had a lot of auto-related business. And so that just really crashed. And high unemployment, it's just really not a vibrant community. 
And so while our church was large, we didn't have a lot of income. We didn't have a lot of people giving. They just didn't give. They weren't good at that. And so for our, a church our size, our giving was really, really not, not good. Well, I left a few years ago. The new pastor, Steve Gerdowski, is doing a great job. And felt called to challenge the church to give. They've got some projects they want to do, and so they kind of had a capital fund campaign. And, and the goal was $1.4 million. And I thought to myself, there is no way. I'm, I'm a little skeptical, and I'm thinking, because the annual budget was about $650,000, $707,000, like that. So to, to $1.4 million was, I just, when he told me that, are you ever really nice to somebody to their face, but you're inside you're going, mm, there's no way. This was that I had that conversation with him. Uh, he let me know, and it's like, Steve, that is, that is a great goal. Inside I'm going, you're never going to get that. that. There's no way there's ever going to happen. There's just not going to happen. And I, I like Steve a lot, but I thought, you're going to fail. And Steve presented the vision to the church. And he texted me the, the Saturday before the Sunday when he was going to reveal how much they, they brought in. Which is very nice, by the way, because he didn't have to do that. I think that's very courteous. And he texted me, hey, Joseph, just wanted to share with you before I share with the church. Um, the donations and promises of gifts equaled $1.4 million. It's amazing, frankly. In a depressed economy, it was just really amazing. We never outgive God. When God puts on your heart to give, don't look at it like it's, oh, I've got to give. It's not a, oh, I've got to give opportunity. This is an opportunity to give. God is giving you a chance to be a part of something He wants to do. How cool is that? God is giving you a chance to be a part of it. Don't look, don't look at that the wrong way. That's one of the greatest things ever. Take those opportunities. Don't miss the joy of giving. Don't, don't misuse people. Don't miss the joy of giving. And um, what's that first one? Uh, anybody write it down? Don't miss Christ. That's right. Paula, I knew you'd get it. Thank you. Thank you. Paula. Paula takes notes. Uh, so I do th these outlines, and Paula uses it. All right, that's great. Uh, all of y'all people, that's horrible. Don't miss Christ. I'm tired. That's why I didn't remember. Uh, don't miss Christ. Don't miss you. Remember that people are important, and, and don't miss the joy of giving. Really important stuff. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a day where we're reminded in this story that we can seek you for wrong reasons or we can seek you for right reasons. Help us to be the right kind of seekers. Help us to seek you with all our hearts because you promised us that when we do, you will be found. Help us, Lord, to enjoy this season. Help us not just to rush through it and not notice people and forget about you. Help us, Lord, to remember why this season is important, that people are important. And that when you give us opportunities to, to share, it's a gift you give us, this opportunity to give to others. Lord, help us to grow, become more and more like you all the time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.